Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on June 14th, 2021 from James Island. Happy Flag Day. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at Vice President Kamala Harris's trip to Greenville. We hear about disturbing drug use and abuse trends from the past year by one state agency head working to fix the problem. Victoria Hansen has a report from Spoleto Festival USA, and we learn more about some rare side effects from the vaccine. But Dr. Linda Bell reminds us about just how much worse COVID-19 symptoms can be. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life during these more certain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. Tell us maybe what's changed over this past year, what's new for you, what you're doing this summer that you couldn't do last summer. Let us know, 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is moderate, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 9,790 total deaths, and currently there are 595,201 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of June 14th at 4 p.m. Our seven-day case moving average is 187. Our current percent positive is 2.2%. Currently, 164 South Carolinians are hospitalized with COVID-19, 42 are in intensive care, and 24 are in ventilators. 39.5% of eligible South Carolinians, or 1.69 million people, have been fully vaccinated, and 46.3% have had at least one dose. Our seven-day moving average for vaccine administrations is 5,981. Vice President Kamala Harris spent the day in Greenville on Monday to kick off the administration's push to promote COVID vaccines in areas with low rates as the administration continues its initiative to get 70% of the eligible population at least one dose of the vaccine by July 4th. We're currently at 64.4% of adults receiving one dose, but vaccination rates have been falling. Harris spoke for about 15 minutes before a group of more than 150 people at the Phyllis Wheatley Community Center, where she thanked volunteers, pushed for better vaccine access, and implored the unvaccinated to get the shot. That's what this is about. Love thy neighbor. And we know, the good book tells us, that neighbor may be somebody you recognize who lives next door, or it may be the person you meet on the street. A new friend previously was a perfect stranger, but who in a civil society, in a good society, we say, we see you, we hear you, we care about you. And as an extension of the love of ourselves, we will support you. And so that's what we're doing right now. That's what we're doing. It is an extension of love thy neighbor to say, that when we get vaccinated and make sure everyone we see or know gets vaccinated, it's not just about protecting ourselves. It's about protecting our family and protecting our friends. And we are protecting those who we may never meet. While issues like transportation, paid time off, childcare, and misinformation are some barriers to folks getting vaccinated, Harris said that Uber and Lyft are available for free rides to vaccination sites. 
Partnerships with the YMCA and KinderCare are helping with child care services for parents who are getting vaccinated. And several big employers are serving as leaders on this by giving employees paid time off to get the vaccine. But getting the correct information out there is also a huge barrier. The correct information and not misinformation. So I see a lot of folks here nodding at that that point because we know this is a big issue. And I know there are folks out there who aren't saying they won't get the vaccine. What they're saying is they're just not sure. And a lot of that has to do with the misinformation or maybe the lack of correct information. And so people may question the safety and the efficacy of the vaccine. Um, They may have heard things that aren't quite true. So let's speak directly to these issues right now. These vaccines were developed over a decade of research. I know it seemed like it happened overnight, but it didn't. Over a decade of hard work and research went into the creation of the vaccine. And all of you know that one of the people responsible for the creation of a vaccine is Dr. Kizzy Corbett, an African-American scientist woman who helped design a vaccine that is saving people's lives. The vaccines have gone through FDA clinical trials. Why do we do that? To do tests to ensure that they are safe to use. And the FDA has said they are safe to use. They went through the trials and they passed. So the vaccines, let me say it again, are safe. They are safe and they are free and they are effective. And it is that simple. If you are vaccinated, you are protected. If your community is vaccinated, COVID rates in your community will go down. Following her remarks, Harris visited a pop-up vaccination clinic at the Greenville YMCA and held a private roundtable conversation with community leaders about voting rights. According to Johns Hopkins, the U.S. is averaging 867,109 vaccine doses per day, and 535,221 people are achieving fully vaccinated status per day. Now, this is down from a high of 1.8 million people per day on April 12th. Data! Moving on, we know last year was a difficult one, even more so for folks struggling with substance abuse disorders and those in recovery. But sadly, there were big spikes in overdosers and drug abuse. On This Week in South Carolina, I spoke with Sarah Goldsby. She's the director of the Department of Alcohol and Other Drug Abuse Services about these disturbing trends and how they're working to combat them. We've seen some really unfortunate trends with incidents of overdose and what we believe will be mortality from uh, overdose incidents. And first, I just have to say it's not only South Carolina, but it's every state in the nation. And, you know, like I said last year, we anticipated this to some degree because of the isolation that we knew people would experience, the other stressors, anxieties and fears related to, you know, what was going on with COVID-19 and folks psychologically. And we know that folks use substances and, and drink alcohol to simply feel good or to alleviate negative feelings. And so we knew that we would see an increase in those issues. However, simultaneously, 
you know, we saw an increase in the availability of extremely potent, illicitly made synthetic opioids coming into the United States and reaching our state as well. You know, these things are coming from China and from Mexico. And, uh, you know, fentanyl is really the culprit in what we believe will be, you know, majority of the fatalities that we saw last year, unfortunately. So what kind of data do you have right now? I know it's still very early, but I feel like you guys released some uh, stuff last year, late last year, kind of pointing to, you know, maybe Narcan administrations or uh, just actual data that you have so far. What, what's it been showing? What's, uh, what's some of the news there? Yeah, so our overdose rapid response team has really been monitoring incidents of suspected overdose statewide and as close to real time as possible. So we've seen on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis where the hotspots are and where the incidents and the number of incidents that are occurring. Um, I think overall last year we averaged around 50% increase in incidents of suspected overdose over 2019. Levels have remained relatively high, but we're really beginning to see things level off and taper down just a bit. Thank goodness. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, I I believe, really to a lot of cross-sector communication, the alerts that we've issued to local law enforcement who are working so hard on interdiction. Um, And then really getting our treatment and recovery organizations along with hospitals to do some more rapid and proactive outreach and prevention. Mm -hmm. And Sarah, um, there were some stories earlier this year talking about some hospitals in the upstate region. The Greenville News did a story looking at uh, how some of these hospitals and their naloxone policies for their patients that are being discharged that have these substance abuse problems. Not all of them were getting naloxone or even aware of it. Uh, There's other hospitals in the state that have different policies where they make sure that they have a prescription or they actually have it in hand when they leave and there's actually reference to counseling services and things like that. Uh, Tell us why is there such a disparity here when we're talking about best practices for these people who are at the highest risk and and what y'all are trying to do to kind of close that gap? Yeah, Gavin, I'm glad that you asked. And first, I just have to say, I think we've learned a lot in recent months with those new stories just about the variation among hospitals and their practices with dispensing naloxone for patients. Um, You know, folks who experience an overdose get transported to an emergency department. Um, If they are not stabilized and treated in that setting, they are at extremely high risk of returning to use and overdosing again. And so getting the naloxone to a caregiver of that patient, you know, when they touch a healthcare system is just critical and it makes so much sense. So I think over time, we, we've probably made a lot of assumptions that hospitals had these assets and knew what to do. And now we're seeing that there's a wide variation among the assets that hospitals have. And in particular, the kinds of pharmacies they have, the kinds of policies and practices that they've adopted. So what we're interested in doing is uh, really going back to um, the boards of medical examiners, nursing and pharmacy, looking at the joint protocol that allows community distribution of naloxone. That was an opportunity afforded to the state with the Overdose Prevention Act, um, and maybe offering some language clarifying to hospitals that they are eligible for community distribution, outlining the ways in which they can adhere to the regulations on dispensing and record keeping, but still get that medication in the hands of folks who need it. You can watch that full interview on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And this Friday, barring an unlikely intervention by the South Carolina Supreme Court, the state is set to execute its first inmate in more than a decade since a federal judge has declined to halt the execution in light of the state's updated death penalty law that makes electrocution the default method since lethal injection drugs can no longer be procured. The AP reports that Brad Sigmund, who was convicted in 2002 of killing his ex-girlfriend's parents with a baseball bat in Greenville County, is scheduled to die by the 109-year-old electric chair. 
While the new law allows for the option of a firing squad, the State Department of Corrections hasn't had enough time to put one together. The Spoleto Festival USA, America's premier performing arts festival, just concluded in Charleston this weekend, following its return a year after the pandemic prevented the long-running festival from happening in 2020. The festival also marked the last year for the veteran festival director Nigel Redden, after nearly 40 years with the organization. South Carolina Public Radio's Victoria Hansen has this report. Sometimes a person becomes so synonymous with a place or event, it's hard to imagine one without the other. But Nigel Redden isn't imagining life without Spoleto Festival USA. He's preparing for it. It is a big decision. I also reached one of those birthdays that has a zero. I turned 70 last year. Redden has worked with the International 17-Day Festival for nearly four decades, most notably as its general director. He's known for his eye for emerging talent his willingness to take artistic risks, and a financial wizardry that once pulled the festival out of more than $1 million in debt. It started when Redden was just 18 years old, volunteering as a student assistant for the original festival in Spoleto, Italy. He tells an intimate gathering at the College of Charleston's historic Randolph Hall. His biggest fear then was spending the summer with his parents. On my third year, when I was um, 20, I decided I'd run it, you know, which I think 20-year-olds can decide that they're going to do these things. If the creation of Spoleto Festival USA in Charleston was a cultural window to the South, as Redden calls it, he crawled through it. He pulled back the curtain and planted a colorful, eclectic garden of dance, music, and theater. But in 2020, the environment changed worldwide. A deadly virus spread, and for the first time, the spring festival, planned the year before, did not bloom. It was barren. Redden didn't travel. I have spent an enormous amount of time on planes over the course of my career, and this seemed very strange. And it it made me feel the sort of the emptiness of the moment even more. Then there was the Black Lives Matter movement following the death of George Floyd. Redden began to question the festival's future diversity. And that perhaps it's time now for, for someone else to, to take this on and have a different approach than I have. Ever ambitious, Redden had hoped for a fuller festival this year. But says artists were leery, and no one quite knew how the nation would emerge from the pandemic. When asked about his drive and quest for excellence, Redden quickly but politely deflects, praising Spoleto Festival USA staff and enthusiastic audiences instead. I feel that my job is to um, look at the um, spaces in between and somehow to hope or make sure or try to make sure that those spaces in between are somehow filled. It sounds like the glue that holds the festival together, but Redden likely won't admit that. This uh, loud enough to get everyone's attention. Oh, good. The toasts are being made at this private reception following Redden's appearance at Randolph Hall. And of course, today we're here to celebrate Nigel. And where's Nigel? Um, Redden doesn't officially retire until the end of October. 
And on November 1st, I will panic. <laughs> it's a plan. <laughs> He's already reminiscing about the city and the festival he clearly adores. I am just filled with memories of performances and people, and it's been really magnificent. He's also raising a glass to the future. So I want to propose a toast to the next 45 years of Spoleto Festival years. Redden says he'll be back to attend the festival and enjoy its bouquet of performances from the other side of the window. You can find this report and the Spoleto Backstage podcast hosted by Sonatas and Soundscapes host Bradley Fuller on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. There, free publicity, Bradley. That's it. So I better hear some cross-promotion on Sonatas and Soundscapes. We know there are rare side effects from the COVID-19 vaccines and the even rarer chance that you might have a breakthrough case. Otherwise, the vaccines are incredibly safe and effective in preventing you from falling ill from COVID and the variants, which of course have worse and more prevalent consequences than the vaccines. That being said, CBS News reports that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced that it will convene an emergency meeting of its advisors on June 18th to discuss rare but higher-than-expected reports of heart inflammation of the mRNA-based Pfizer and Moderna COVID-19 vaccines. So far, the CDC has identified 226 reports that might meet the agency's working case definition of myocarditis and pericarditis following the shots. The vast majority have recovered, but 41 people had ongoing symptoms. 15 are still hospitalized, and 3 are in intensive care. Now again, the reports represent just a tiny fraction of the nearly 130 million Americans who have been fully vaccinated with either Pfizer or Moderna's doses. And actually, you can get myocarditis from getting COVID as well. Still very rare, but that can happen. And state epidemiologist Dr. Linda Bell spoke about some of the side effects from COVID-19 before Vice President Harris spoke in Greenville. This was somewhat similar to what Harris was saying, and Bell added that the biggest barrier now to folks getting vaccinated is choice. And she drove home the point about just how unpredictable this virus is. But please know that vaccines were developed through very stringent clinical trials, which proved them to be very safe and very effective in preventing severe COVID illness. But what is severe COVID illness? What I want you to be aware of is that COVID disease affects nearly every organ system of the body. We thought it was a disease of the lungs, but COVID can affect your heart, causes strokes, causes uh, kidney failure. And what we're even learning is that the long-term consequences of COVID are, are causing some people to have a very prolonged recovery period. Prolonged periods with shortness of breath, weakness, with mental fogging, behavioral problems that we're all recognizing now. And they're actually often associated with people who actually had mild COVID illness. So this is what the vaccine prevents. I hear young people say that, well, we're not at very high risk of getting these complications of COVID. And it's true that your risk is lower, but your risk is not zero. And so it's really a gamble who will get those complications and who will not. So the vaccine is safe, it's effective, and the vaccine is your best bet to make sure that you do not suffer from those short or long-term consequences, even death. 
That's DHEC's Dr. Linda Bell there, summing up just how much safer it is to get the vaccine than it is gambling with possibly getting the virus. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and always want to hear your stories. Everything you have to say is interesting. That's why we have a phone number for you to call to tell us these things. 803-563-7169. Now, again, only up to three minutes of your most interesting tidbits for us, though. But we oh, look forward to them. Everything is always interesting, Always everyone. good. <laughs> always good. If it cuts you off, well, say la vie. But you got to call what? first. You got to call first. Hey, you got to call. I you mean, can't win if you don't, I don't call. Know what, I don't know what to tell you. You're not going to get an air fryer if you don't call. <laughs> Everyone, I mean, there's that possibility of an air fryer still. Anyway, AT, I'm, I'm on, I've been told that we have a, uh, a friend of the pod, a good friend of the pod who's left us a Great voicemail. Great friend of the pod. Oh, yeah. This is one of my very best friends. Um, he didn't tell me he was going to call, so it's great. Sometimes my, whenever my friends call, they're like, hey, hey. Be on the lookout. Mm-hmm. Oh, I <laughs> got a heater coming. <laughs> oh, we got a heater. Uh, so here we go. Hey, Gavin and AT, it's your uh, friendly resident Georgian, uh, CJ, uh, calling from Columbia. Uh, decided to let you guys know what I'm doing in June, uh, which is uh, look, expecting another kid uh, because me and my wife are crazy people. Uh, but we're excited. Got a couple weeks to go. Uh, and besides that, just be cooking large amounts of meat and drinking bourbon at home. Uh, hope you guys are doing well, and I look forward to my new air fryer. Hawks and six. Bye. CJ, great to hear from you. Thank you for calling. Congratulations with your new baby on the way. And, on the uh, way. Yeah, I said that. New baby. Yeah, I know you did. On great job. Baby. Yeah. Baby on the way. Baby on this board. This baby. Baby on in the oven. Uh, and many, many, uh, I want to you know, just love hearing about the meat content there too, because yes. it is t- it's that, even more so that time of year now. I know he's doing it all year round, especially when he can do it. But yeah. AT, he has he's a, a Instagram we got to talk about here about his, his smoked meats, et cetera. Yes. CJ has, he runs his, his it's called Backyard Pitmaster SC. Mm. He, um, he started he's he's like me and we're we're diehard weber kettle guys you know mm-hmm. just standard issue weber kettle there you go uh, but he's he's really trying to become a, a true smoke boy he, he's 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 learning and if, if you want to uh learn along with cj he's a great guy who knows how much more time he'll have oh yeah with right? his second child sure <laughs> but uh right now i mean the, the kids he's pumping out content but i also yeah. would like to say he tried to sneak in a hawks and six in there oh yeah and uh i don't think so go sixers <laughs> trust the process uh if that were going to happen at all they would have to win tonight, Monday night, and I don't think the Hawks will. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Who knows? Who do knows? We bleep it? Do, but... we, do we bleep him? Do we bleep him? <laughs> oh, I should have We'll maybe him, extend yeah. him some courtesy, but just let him know. He gets We're not going to stand Everybody gets one. one. Everybody gets one. one. You, I might just like Bradley his... got that one cross promotion there. Okay, one. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Everybody gets one. Um AT, well, we're we're glad that you're back now from Charleston. I know yes. you're still decompressing, so I know you don't really have the ability for, uh, you know, cognitive thought here. It's, it's comprehensive it's tough. thought. It's hard. You're, you're uh, <laughs> operating on fumes here, basically, a base <laughs> yeah. level. This is my, uh, I just, my first day home in, what, 25, 26 days. Um, and I immediately get home and do this podcast. We love is, that. Uh, is psycho. I understand that. But I mean, I think Gavin included um, 
the story on Spoleto just to uh, give me some PTSD, Woo! to trigger me a little bit, you know? <laughs> I a, little, a little welcome back, Carter. So uh, <laughs> I thank you for that. And um, I actually, I do feel we, we needed something for the business section. So was, yeah. <laughs> Victoria does great work. Yeah. Anyway, we but love also, um, uh, I was lifting very many heavy things today, and oh. I mean, as far as my, my my knees cracking earlier, man, I threw my back out, my lower back. Oh no, it got me for the first time in my life. I really like my lower back is it doesn't feel good. I'm so. not happy about any of these developments, <laughs> sir. We got to get you some collagen and some Tiger Bomb, and I'll fix if you. Tiger Lube that works wonders. <laughs> if uh, if the Sixers win tonight, uh, it'll be all good. Yeah. So. Uh, Gavin, do, say, say whatever you need to say, and then let uh, me edit the podcast. Say what please. you need to say. Yeah, sing more. Please. Please. Sing, yeah, yeah. Just... Do the whole song. <laughs> you know what? Do the whole song. <laughs> we, <laughs> who is that? Uh, John Mayer, I think. Right? Perhaps. I don't. I. I'm not a John Cla Mayer. No. I mean, Josh is not. Josh is not. Thank Josh. you, Josh. Uh, <laughs> Cle clever lead listeners will be able to spot John Mayer lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's good. I've been down in Charleston too. We didn't, we didn't have a chance to hang out. I know you're busy wrapping no, things up. I've been busy. hanging with the parents, babysitting them, chilling out. Watched the French Open. Not a big tennis guy here, but was enthralled mm -hmm. by like uh, the Nadal uh, Djokovic, Djokovic. Yeah, mm -hmm. showdown on Friday night. And then I watched the one uh, with Sipsis and Djokovic on Sunday. And whew, mm. like, I, I, I felt tired for Djokovic. My God, they, he, they said he played like nine hours of tennis in 48 hours. And that man's 34 years old, and he was playing against yeah. a 22-year-old on Sunday. And I was like, yee wee. You know what talk about popping legs and cracking backs? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know. I know. It's insane. But it was it was fun to watch. I mean, I, I never really got that much into tennis, and now I'm kind of addicted to it. But I uh, also watched some, the, some, watched some of the uh, the golf championship there at Congaree. Yeah, it's gorgeous up there, huh? So, Yeah. Uh, it's like we just every other week we got like a golf tournament coming on down here. That's why we're the home of the golf courses in South Carolina. Such beautiful places and smiling faces everywhere this you is go. A cross promotion for Myrtle for Beach, Discover right? SC. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come Discover SC. Well, say goodbye. <laughs> say goodbye to everyone. Goodbye, everyone. There you go. <laughs> say goodnight, uh, Kevin. Right goodnight, there. Kevin. <laughs> Well, thanks, y'all, for listening to the pod. Show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on iTunes or a voicemail at 803-563-7169. You can also stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. Josh, what is this food? This came out of nowhere. <laughs> is, that, is that like a... a Oh, it's a Rice Krispie Treat pop. Ooh. I was like, w is he eating a bar of soap? I was like, is that sushi on a stick? <laughs> <laughs>